Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne, and with me as always is Liam Billingham, and today's film is Goldeneye. It's Die Hard in a Bond reboot. We have a special guest as well as a the 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 ubiquitous uh, mouth trumpet that you like to wheel out for for the Bond movies. Um, <laughs> We we have a special guest uh, all the way from the United Kingdom. Uh, It is an actor, writer, comic, and 007 aficionado, Ben Rufus Green is in the house. Welcome, Ben. Hello, hello, listeners. Ben, you have to say, you have to say, Ben, or Green. You have to do the Bond intro. You know, you have to say your name like you're James Bond. Okay, so would I say this? I've got a middle name, though. Ben Rufus. Yeah, you got to add that so, in there. That's part of it. That's on, part so, of it. So yeah. um, the name's Green. Ben Rufus Green. <laughs> yeah, that, there we go. And I'm on to you, Blofeld. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Fantastic. we're in. Now I feel Fantastic. in it. We're at the Baccarat table. I ordered a gin martini, no vodka. It's gross. But so Ben, you good. know, and I did struggle with the pronunciation of. I was very. I, I, I set myself a challenge by saying the word aficionado. It's actually a pretty difficult word word to say. But you are a you're a 007 fan. Is that fair? Oh yeah, it was. I think like most people, um, watching the Bond films was how I kind of got into films. You know, they were always on. You kind of knew it was going to be a good fun time. And yeah, I've loved them from an early age. I I, I had them all on VHS. I've got them all on. I got them. I've got some of them on American DVD, and I went to watch my Goldeneye, but it's um, I can't watch it now because my TV doesn't have a SCART lead in the SCART connection, so I had to buy it. But yes, I've loved them for <laughs> for for years now. I absolutely love them all. Yeah. A little birdie tells me that one of your favourites is uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. <gasps> yes, which Liam loves. Oh, I love it. I'm obsessed with that movie. It's a master. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. It's one of the Bond films that is an utter masterpiece. I totally agree. Well, I, I came to that quite late because I, I deliberately avoided it because I thought it was I thought it wasn't canon at the time, and then I, I saw it mm-hmm. years. Not, not actually that long ago. Um, and I, I was like, my God, this is amazing. I love the fight scenes. I love, I really like Lazenby. I think he's brilliant in it. And the, I, yeah, agree. I just love everything about it. The editing, the music, the direction. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my favorite one. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. When I was a kid, I grew up in a Connery household. My dad was like a big Connery guy. We, we talked about this on the podcast before, but my dad's interest in James Bond started because JFK, Irish Catholic from Boston, like my father, mentioned that Ian Fleming was his favorite writer. So I grew up with the books, with the movies. And my dad, we never watched. I rented on Her Majesty's Secret Service independently as a kid. And I was like, wow, that was really good. And my dad was like, nope, not watching that. That's a fake James Bond movie. I think that was like the the common idea in the late 80s, early 90s. 
And I rewatched it during the pandemic and I was like, wow, this is a legitimate action masterpiece mm. ma directed by an editor, which I think is really, really significant. One of the things I did like about the Bond films, I don't know if they do anymore, is they, you know, you grow up in the Bond, like you become an editor, then you get to direct them and then you direct a few movies. Mm -hmm. I don't think they, well, they don't do it anymore, do they? But uh, for favourite Bond, okay, so I can't say Lazenby, so I'm going to cheat and put Connery and Moore first, then Lazenby. If that's all right, and then the others. Oh wow! Okay, the others. The others are very you, close. You rank him that high? That's really yeah. Interesting. I, I just just because I love that film, just because it. I was so surprised at how good it was when I first watched it, and it's it's you know it's still with me. You know, just a slight stiffness coming on. You know, but. the <laughs> the joy of of the Lazenby is we only get to imagine the movies that he would make later. Like we get one, and we never see him play. You know. Bond again, which and then it's more and I would say the entire franchise shifts, right? Like, I mean, it's a completely re reinvention of, of the series for better or for worse. And I often think a lot about like what the movies would be like. And often the law of diminishing returns with Bond actors after they do their first mm. Bond, and which is something we can talk about here. But it's kind of interesting to imagine the movies that Lazenby would have. Because he was really like tasty in a fist fight, wasn't he? Because he was like yep. Bruce... Bruce Lee was a mate and he was going to be in Game of Death and all this it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, but yeah. I would have loved to. I think the fight scenes would have been incredible if he stayed on. Well, what's your relationship with the movie we're talking about today, Ben, Goldeneye? So obviously we've, we've had uh, uh, License to Kill was the last one and then there was a big six-year gap, mm -hmm. wasn't there? So I was really, you know, chomping at the bit. And then the trailer came out and it just looked incredibly cool didn't it i thought it's i've, I've rewatched the trailer quite a few times it's just such a cool trailer there's so many cool moments like he got when he's hiding behind putting that bomb together and a bullet ricochet comes he just looks annoyed doesn't he? he's like get out of it mm -hmm. uh, yeah it's brilliant there's so many I, uh, and I, I saw it at the flicks and i loved it it's it's brosnan's best i think in my humble opinion I don't know if that's controversial, actually. I think it's generally regarded as... Yeah, I think one, it's a pretty it? widely accepted opinion, yeah. Did you see it when it came out, Liam, at the theatre? Oh, oh, yeah. I've, yeah, this was, like, a big deal in the Billingham household. So, like, a new Bond... Again, my dad was, like, a completist, strong opinions. He probably... Sorry to be controversial on the chain. He's probably the person responsible for my not liking most of the Roger Moore movies. Like, I think he kind of... Um, we were such a Connery house. So I, I'm sure I saw this in the theater. I definitely watched it on VHS 400 times. I definitely had a VHS copy. And um, I actually rewatched it <clears throat> not so long ago. I think six years ago, while I, you know, when my daughter was really little, I put her down for a nap and I just was like, I'm going to put on Goldeneye. And I, I was like, wow, this movie rips. And then rewatching it again for this. Um, I was like, yep, this movie still rips, you know, like there's, it's just mwah, a well-made movie with a lot to recommend it. I mean, kind of amazing that it's Brosnan's first one. Yeah, it's really, a, it's really an accomplished film. And I wanted to ask you guys as well a little bit, because I don't, I don't have quite the same, uh, I wasn't in a Bond loving household, particularly. I, I, I sort of grew up um, Roger Moore, I think, was everybody's sort of de facto uncle in the UK because you just spent so mm. much time. The movies were on 
every weekend. A Roger Moore film, I felt like, was on every weekend. So inevitably, Roger Moore would be your sort of babysitter for for three hours Well, with, the, with the, all the adverts and everything when they, these movies are usually two and a half hours long. So Roger Moore would look after you for, you know, uh, for your afternoon. So th- I think we all, a lot of people of my generation would have that kind of relationship with, with those movies. It was just like a bit of a comfort blanket and it was just very British and sort of ubiquitous. But I wanted to ask you guys, uh, because I saw this movie on video with my parents and we actually really liked it. But as I said, they, they just weren't like, my dad wasn't particularly bothered about Bond. My mum had huge problems with the sexual politics of it and the, the you know, all of that sort of stuff. So it was never like, no one was like forcing me to watch Bond. Um, so we, but we did watch this uh, uh, as a family and really enjoyed it. And I remember that watching it on video, but I wanted to ask you guys, if you remember the the sort of significance of this as like a pop cultural event, because you also had the the Tina Turner song. Oh yeah. And then the video game, which is still like, has had this incredible sustained life. You know, do you guys remember much about that? Like the big, the pop cultural uh, asteroid that this film was when it came out? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think because um, it was a, such a long wait, people were just absolutely loving any anything Bond, yeah. and and he, um, yeah, it was it was brilliant. And the Tina Turner song is such an earworm, isn't it? I just keep hearing the dum 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 dum. <laughs> kind of creeps up on you. Yeah, yeah. But um, probably fair to remind that it was written by Bono in the Edge, no which way. is something that a lot of people don't realize is that the the song was written by Bono in the it's Edge. It's funny you bring that up because I was also thinking the other half of you two, uh, Larry Mullen and Adam Clayton, wrote the Mission the guys Impossible. Nobody knows the names of. Um, yeah, they wrote yeah. the Mission Impossible. Uh, theme mm-hmm. version for the 1996 which movie, which is amazing. And it made me think like, yeah. why didn't they do that more? Because they did it with Limp Biscuit with the second one. And then I felt like there should be a, there should have been a current artist doing the mission, some riff on Mission Impossible for every one of those movies. But we can save that for that conversation. We'll save it for that conversation. So let's get into uh, some quick fast facts uh, about this bad boy. GoldenEye was released in the US on November 17th, 1995, directed by the great Martin Campbell. Uh, It, of course, stars in his first first Bond film, Pierce Brosnan, Sean Bean, Isabella Skorupko, and Famke Janssen. Um, Screenplay was by Jeffrey Kane and Bruce Feirstein from a story by Michael France, of course, based on the character created by Ian Fleming on an estimated budget of 60 million. Do you have a guess as to how much this, this film grossed on a $60 million budget in 1995? I don't know, like $356 million. Well, that's a pretty good guess. Yeah. Like, Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I have four. the outline. Yes, indeed. So monster, monster hit, like crazy, crazy numbers, massive, massive international hit. Um, so yeah. And you guys contributed to that box office. So you're part of, Bond history. You're welcome. Can I add a fact to the top line fact check, which is this film also stars the great Godfrey John, who we have to talk about later in this episode. This is in your Fassbender very... um, like This tangent? is my Fassbender, okay. my, my important Fassbender okay. tangent we'll that it. I hope will come up at we'll some get point. To it. Very important stuff for me. Well, of course, this is a show about Die Hard and the, and the influence of Die Hard on the action genre. And again, people might be thinking, well, come on, guys. Are you just putting Goldeneye in here? Because, you know, it's going to boost your numbers because it's a popular film and it grows $356.4 million at the box office. And the answer is yes. <laughs> However, there actually, is, yes. there actually is a lot of what we like to call da-hard DNA in this film. So here are the things that I spotted and then 
feel free to add if you think I missed anything. Of course, we've got European villains. We've got the main bad guy being played by a distinguished British thespian. I noticed, did you notice the scene where the bad guys are firing machine guns into the vents, a la Carl, mm -hmm. like uh, mm -hmm. in the pursuit of, um, I think. Famke Hansen does it, right? She's the big, yeah. And she's like breathing heavily. God, so weird. It's great. Yeah, we'll get it's there. So we'll great. get there. Um, I'll, just, I'll just dab my brow. Quirky, bespectacled yeah. computer hacker who provides uh, comic relief. We've got bad guys demanding computer codes while holding people at gunpoint. Did you notice the riff on the Die Hard 2 ejector seat moment? Yes. That yes, was I another, that. E even <laughs> kind of the same shot, right, to some extent, when that yeah. scene where they have to escape from, I get they're trapped in a, is it a helicopter that they're stuck in? And, yeah, right, they're in the and tiger. They, they fire their the own missiles at it, right? That's almost yeah. the same shot. We saw it again in Terminal that Velocity as well. Rules. Great scene. That scene. I mean, one rules, of the classic, man. like, bon instead of just shooting them in the head, let's design, like, what's screwball scramble to have them <laughs> off yeah. in some really elaborate way. It's like the laser beam going through the table in Goldfinger, right? That's just it's classic the, it's stuff. Iconic, it's what yeah. we come to expect. Um, you've also got a bit of like Bond as detective, like that scene, you know, we notice the watch is frozen by the EMP blast. He's kind of mm -hmm. a bit of those kind of details that are a little McLean-esque. Also got uh, an armored urban assault vehicle rolling through a civilian area. And if one of the mm -hmm. film's many memorable set pieces, a but then it got a little bit more specific towards the end. And I was quite like pleasantly surprised because often I'll put, you know, when I take these films to the lab and LA has its power outages and I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's like, it, it can be tenuous, but it, as the film went on, it got more and more specific down to the point where the villain who is using politics to mask a massive theft, right? The hero says to him, you're nothing more than a common thief. The exact same Which is what Holly McLean line. says to Hans yeah. Gruber. And then there's also lines like, welcome to the party. And then there's a bit where he says, do you know how to use one of these when Bond yeah. hands over a gun? Um, but the other, the other sort of overarching thing that I think is worth discussing beyond the, 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 all the, the, all the sort of diehard DNA that's actually in the film is a sort of met, the meta-textual aspect of this, which is the Bronson-John McTiernan relationship. Right, which mm. started with uh, Nomads in 1986, which was McTiernan's feature debut, in which Brosnan stars as a uh, as a as a he's playing a French character. I think he's like an I think he's an anthropologist. It's been I think it was a year or so since since I last saw it, but as I recall, he's an anthropologist uh, in LA and he's investigating this weird gang and it's like quasi supernatural. I really like this movie. This is the movie that got McTiernan uh, Predator because he was so adroit with suspense. Wow. Uh, Schwarzenegger saw it and thought they 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 took a chance on him and he proved to be an incredible choice. And then, so in some ways, you know, Brosnan's movie career is is actually quite tied to John McTiernan because they would go on to collaborate again with the Thomas Crown Affair in 1999 after that Bond movie star persona had been established as the sort of suave, right. you know, lovable rogue leading man that Brosnan really, you know, he'd been a guy that had been around for, for a while, right? Remington Steele, he's even in um, uh, Long Good Friday uh, in one of his early parts. But it, I, I'm, and just in terms of like, yeah, he plays, I think he plays one of the IRA guys. Um, of course, he's actually Irish. Yeah, he's actually Irish in real life. Um, which is interesting, again, going back to the Lazenby of it all, who was Australian, and then you have Connery, who was Scottish. So it's, it's it's interesting how these international actors have actually played 
the the part that's so associated as for England, James, which we'll get to. But let's dig in a little bit more on our section about the hero right after this break. We're back with our next section of the show, Anatomy of an Action Movie, where we explore the tenets. We live in a twilight world. And there are no friends at dusk. Of Ben, Tenet Head, you on you you on board? Uh, I, it's okay if you're I not. have seen it. Um, not my favorite Nolan film, I'm afraid. Okay. See you guys later. We well, haven't met I, I, many Tenet Heads, to be <laughs> fair, have we? Like almost every, we're, we get all excited, then we kick it over to our, our esteemed guests, and they're like, "Nah, not for me." <laughs> almost, almost without, yeah, without fail. We got to find some more Tenet fans. Where are you when guys? We do a Tenet episode. Yeah. yeah, come on. Fair enough. At Liam G. Billingham, tell me if you're a Tenet fan. Let's go. Let's go. So the. F- I ordered my hot sauce an hour ago. Okay, go film. The first tenet of this movie of Golden Eye uh, is, of course, uh, is is the premise. The first the first tenet of, a, of an action movie's anatomy is the premise, and the premise of this film is as follows. So, after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, MI6 agent James Bond uncovers a sinister plot led by rogue Russian operatives to use a Soviet-era orbital space weapon codenamed Golden Eye to launch an attack on London. In the process, Bond teams up with Natalia Simonova, a Russian satellite expert, in a globe-trotting race against time to prevent the strike. And then the ticking clock really is essentially, can Bond and Natalia stop the plot and take out the bad guys before the orbital weapon is launched on England's capital city? You know, Phil, you could play Tanner. You really could play Tanner, the guy who who gives him the briefing in, uh, about 25 minutes into the movie. Like, you just sounded like Tanner giving 007 a briefing. Who is that just saying. Michael, Michael Kitchen. Uh, oh, he's Michael brilliant. Kitchen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's great. Is he one of those guys yes, you guys will he's... know better than me? Of course, that's like a, a member of the RSC or like does a ton of theater and like, you know, has like is in a Bond movie for 25 minutes. Like, is that the kind of actor he is? Yeah. And he had his own series as well. He's in Foyle's War, but he's, he's so that's good at this. That's what I was about to say. Oh, Foyle's War, yeah. Evil queen of numbers yeah. yeah he's very good in this my uh my uh my father-in-law was obsessed with foils war would watch it over and over again i don't think i ever placed it that's so funny yeah he's great in in uh in his his little scene in this he's so good the other thing that's interesting about this uh from the perspective of, of the concept is this is the first completely original this is the first completely original james bond movie without any reference to any ian fleming novel or short story whatsoever it's also i thought it was kind of wild that this is the second film in a row that involves the use of an orbital weapon after under siege 2 um totally it's really 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 weird so there was obviously something in the in the ether there what do you think about uh, uh, this is i'm curious to get your thoughts on this uh liam because you know this is a it's a pretty good premise, but it addresses this idea, I think this is really important, of Bond as like a dinosaur and like a relic mm-hmm. of the Cold War. And they have to sort of update the character as well, not only for that and the fact that politics have shifted and the wall has come down and, and update the character for this new politically correct era in terms of the sexual politics and how he behaves and how things of mores have changed. It actually reminded me a little bit of there was some sort of self-reflexive meta stuff that kind of reminded me of um, Top Gun Maverick in the way that there was like mm. this hero that's like, maybe he's obsolete, maybe the world has changed a little bit, but not today. Thank you very much. That kind of thing. Yeah. It's it's, it's so interesting. And like, you know, you, I can't speak to the British. The I can, you know, as a non-Brit, I think there's an important, probably cultural understanding of what Bond represents that's different from an American. But this movie, you know, 
if the later Craig movies, the, I think the best James Bond movie is Skyfall because it outright asks the question, like, who is James Bond and why does he matter? And I think that that is very fascinating and, and cool. This movie plays with it not to the, the, the same extent, but it's definitely there. Judy Dench, you know, the first female M, if I remember correctly, calling him a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, little things like that. There's the moment when they're on the Tiger helico uh, hel helicopter and he says, I'm a little tied up. And in the middle, he sort of stops the joke and goes, never mind. Like, it feels like it's interrogating the idea of this character and saying, like, what does James Bond mean after the wall falls? And, and it even plays with that with Russia. You know, um, Jafamka Hansen has a line where she says, Russia is very different now, a land of opportunity. So it's like playing with our sort of understanding of what does Bond even mean in this period of time? And like Russia is no longer this ideological state, but like a post-Cold War capitalistic, you know, place where a a Russian general who's considered to be obedient steals a weapon so he can get a ton of money. Like all of the politics are actually just like, we don't have ideologies anymore. We want to make money, which is Very we're going to see hard. a lot more. Very die hard again. Yeah, right? We're going to see more of, of this sort of like, there's so many movies that we're going to be talking about where people say, I miss the cold. Yeah. War because you understand who the many enemy is. You know, I just revisited the peacemaker for another conversation we're going to have. And that's a, that's, the whole idea of that movie, not to get on a tangent, is driven by like the idea that the hero can understand ideology, but he can't, or greed, because, but he can't understand ideology. Like that's a big part of what that movie's about. And so it's just so interesting now as an adult to watch this and think about how Bond represents something different. Another great moment, John Doe Baker, James Bond walks up to him and says like, some kind of code, you know, oh, that yeah, tells yeah, him he's yeah. a spy. And Joe, Joe Tom Baker's like, oh, yeah, why don't you shut the fuck up or <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah. he says. And it's Crying like, that is also kind of a commentary. Like, no one has time for your bullshit spy craft in 1994 or whatever year this happens to be. I, yeah, it's just a very self-aware, self-reflexive take on the, on the mythos, but not quite at the Craig. Craig, I think, over-literalizes it, but this really plays with it. That's not a... Uh, no, that's not meant as a as a dig at the Craig movies. I, I like those Craig movies quite a bit. But to me, this is a really interesting as the first post-Cold War James Bond movie. And it, it reminds me a little bit of The Hunt for October and how it deals with like post-Soviet identity. Yeah. What do you think, Ben, questions. like uh, about this film as a, uh, as a student of the, the franchise, as a fan of it, how does this one fit into the wider picture? Do you like this as a premise? What, what, do you, what, do you, what are your kind of general thoughts on it on a concept and story level? Yeah, well, because um, obviously the the Bond films are kind of very affected by when they're made, aren't they? You know, you got Star Star mm -hmm. Wars comes out, so let's put Bond into space. And this was a, there was a, a lot of um, you know the sexual politics were changing, so let's let's address that. But um, you know, having said all that, they were they still need a, someone to go out there and do the job, don't they? So that's why I think Bond will never really be obsolete. There'll there'll always be room for Bond, but um, yeah. But yeah, I, no, I thought it was, um, yeah, and, and also because it had been six years since the previous one, um, I guess they, yeah, they just wanted to introduce them and make sure it was different from the last one as well, didn't they? Of course, and it's interesting as well that it actually has this weird thing that almost, and I tried to unpack this uh, with another friend of mine who was also like really understood the the the, the canonical aspect of it, that it starts in, in the 80s, it has a mm. prologue, Mm. In the 80s, in the middle of the, the, the Cold War, 
with uh, 007 and 006 involved on a on a mission. Um, so ten, now, th but that precedes the Dalton iterations in 1987 and 1989. So what does that mean for the the canon of it all? You know, does that mean that there's actually because because it continued up until a certain point they were actually consistent it and it wasn't that it was a code name it was that it with different actors playing the same character and you had the same m's and so but it all started to get a little bit complicated but do you guys have any thoughts on on the the sort of multiverse aspect of what that does to the franchise i, I mean i think it was just bond on another mission it, like, yeah. i think it was whoever bonded is could have been you know sean connery it's just another mission even even though the continuity is crazy, if you think about it, <laughs> it really is. Yeah, but that's sort of what's really beautiful <clears throat> about this franchise. And like you know, we're not talking about the Craigs right now, but the attempt to build a, a a one story over the course of the Craigs is really interesting, and 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 I think you know comp compromised in some ways in those movies. But what I love about like Phil, it never occurred to me as never occurred to me, and I've seen License to Kill, The Living Daylights, and Goldeneye. 10 times it's never occurred to me that like oh yeah technically the beginning of goldeneye takes place before the living daylights and license to kill because it doesn't matter right. right like we even though they're all of the same ilk we uh we don't spend that much time concerning ourselves with like the continuity among them you know one thing i think about a lot is the moment in license to kill where felix Leiter tells his soon-to-be-murdered wife he was married once right. and it didn't and, and like that has a lot of pathos because they do that so rarely in the franchise that it works really well as opposed to trying to like overly literalizing this happened and then this happened and then this happened like the continuity being a nightmare is something that we as like viewers have all accepted for so long that it's Honestly, refreshing to go back and look at these and say, like, I'm not, we're not too worried well, about it. They kind it. of just reset themselves, right, every time. Yeah. And now, now we're looking back at it in an era of um, extended cinematic universes and and all of that stuff. But you also, in, in one realm of, like, Marvel, but then you have DC stuff, which is uh, almost random, more like the comic book world, where there's a new interpretation of Batman this week that's in a different, it's a different um, universe, essentially, than, an, right. than another interpretation of Batman and all of that type of stuff. So we're looking back at it, and this is sort of preceded all of that, although Die Hard Are was guys, in an ECU, as we learned in our Ricochet Have you episode. guys read the books, the Ian Fleming books, much of them? Do they follow a clearer continuity, Ben? Uh, I've not, I've read... On Imagine Secret Service, I've got Casino Royale to read as well, but I've I've only read like mm. a couple. But um, okay, does does because Pierce the Pierce's Bond Bond doesn't make reference to Tracy, does he? The, the, his dead wife, or does he? Uh, I don't think no. so. I don't think it comes up. At least you know the ones that I, I revisit the most mm. often are really only Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never mm. Dies. Um, I haven't seen. I've seen every Pierce Pierce Brosnan. Bond, but from my point of view, there's a lot of real diminishing returns there. I don't ever recall a single reference to Tracy. I only recall it in um, License to Kill. And I feel like the Craig does away with it because it's an origin. Yeah. It's an origin and story. And Roger Moore does it in For Your Eyes Only. It's the pre-title sequence. He puts Yeah. Oh, I on. love that yeah. movie. Yeah, that's a good one. So they, every so often they kind of like visit mm. it, right? But they don't, they don't like make it a huge part of the, of the story. Well, speaking to the lineage of Bond, and you know, I wanted to say as well, like you, you know, you mentioned how much you love Lazenby, and and Liam, you're a big Connery guy. You're both big Connery guys, and and I'm a big Dalton guy. You know, Dalton, and I'm. A, there's not too many of us that are that are ready to really go to bat for Dalton, but there are there are some, and and those two are my favorites. 
Um, I'm not saying they're the best. I do. Th- I which do uh, Dalton the, uh, and- Living Daylights and uh, License to oh, Kill are my Bond. two yeah. favorite Bond films. I do agree with you. I think the best Bond film is Skyfall. I think that's. I love the sort of best of British aspect of that film. It's yeah. all like all British brands. There's Union Jacks everywhere. There's a real sense of class to that film. And like you said, it's really, there's a muscularity to it. There's a prestige aspect to it. It's just so Oh, it's so, a real masterpiece, so awesome. I think. I you know, think it's uh, incredible. It's, it's very it's emotional. Movies, if it's on, I'm watching it. It's great. Yeah. If I'm on a plane, I'm putting that on. If it's on the, if it's on the, the flight, you know? But my point is I'm coming into this film with like a real love of Dalton and now it's a new, new actor. Um, and... So let's move into our section, our hero section about Pierce Brosnan as James Bond, because I think he's amazing. I have to say, I I love Pierce Brosnan in general as a person and as an actor. And it's almost like just, it was so tailor-made for him. This, he is the perfect synchronicity between character and actor at the right age. And of course he was cast previously before Dalton and couldn't get famously right. couldn't get out of his Remington Steel contract and I believe actually got up to the point where they were shooting the um you know the famous like gun barrel credit sequence oh. thing and then the contractual thing the anvil came down and the, and the plug was pulled so you had to wait but in a weird way I actually think it, it worked worked out better because when we got those two Dalton films which are very different and I think are great and he's great and offers something different and then you get him as a little bit older, a little bit more sort of filled his filled himself out a little bit, and more mm. of a man than a than a younger guy because he was quite a very slim, slight guy, Pierce Brosnan. But he looks like a real tough. He looks tough in this. What are your thoughts on what Pierce Brosnan does in this film? That's different, maybe. What does he offer that's different from the previous like iconic actors that have played this this iconic role? Um, I I think he's kind of partway between Connery and Roger Moore. I think this this one's a bit more Connery, but there's still he's still doing the Roger Moore quips. I don't think he's as tough as Connery. Connery was, but he's not he's not as stoic. He's because he's a bit smiley, and when he's in pain, he's quite vocal, isn't he? <gasps> oh, he's trying to get the get the pry the legs apart. Yeah. and I think he's the most vocal, but apart from when Daniel Craig gets his nuts whacked. Um, but he's quite he's quite vocal, isn't he? And, he, and he, he's the only is he the only Bond that is openly laughs and stuff. I don't know if that because at the end he's like picks her up and laughs. Yeah, and he's so that. warm. Yeah. That moment I wanted to drive <clears throat> Ben. It's so interesting you brought that up because like I actually that moment pulls me out of the movie because he's so. Maybe it's the Irish thing. I don't know, like to, to cast a stereotype, but he's just so like warm and like the smile breaks the character a little bit. But I don't know if that's a bad thing because like you want James Bond to be like, sometimes you're like, I want you to be a little nicer than you're like, Connery is a legendary prick, right? In a great way. He's a great, like, you know, he throws a toaster in the bathtub and says shocking, shocking. or whatever. Like he's he's a murderer, right? And And Roger Moore is like, you know, kind of suave and, sort of cheesy, sort of intentionally. And Dalton is just like a bull, right? Like, so it's like, Brosnan brings this like warmth to the character. Like even the moment when he pulls the gun on Zenya and he goes, no, no, no. Like there's this other thing going on with him that's like really strange. But like, he's just so warm and and kind of like, the nicest James Bond. He's quite nimble so with comedy though as well. Cause he just done Mrs. Doubtfire, yeah. which is basically a straight up farce, you know? Yeah. And that, 
kind of I think proved some of his bona fides uh, to some extent. You know, similar like suave character. He's like the character's going to steal her away, but you still quite like that character. You know, because right. he just he just does resonate like ability, and even though he's like ridiculously handsome and um, and and debonair, it, there's something about him that is as you say, it is warm. You know, I saw a clip recently of him. I don't know if you guys saw this. Were him as a person. And it was on like one of the junkets and he was, the journalist was interviewing him and the journalist was from the same small town in Ireland that he's originally from. And it was such a, and he, and he, he, you could see how sort of touched he was by it. And his accent started to come out a little bit more as they sort of talked about it. And it was, it was such a, he's like so charming, but not in a way where you feel yeah. like it's charming in a way that's like um, calculated. It just seems to radiate that somehow. Well, there's also this little bit of a renaissance going on with him. Like he's in that Eurovision movie where he oh, yeah. plays Will Ferrell's <laughs> yeah, yeah, dad. Yeah. And like, which is, I think a very good. Yeah, fun movie fun. actually. And like kind of having this moment where like he's, he's he like, he did it. Like Pierce Brosnan's a success story. Like he's played James Bond. He's done all these things. Like he's, he's, he's sort of become like, He's in the Mamma Mia movies, I just remembered. Like, he's kind of like a zaddy. Like, he's a hot older dude, right? That, like, played James Bond. And, like, you know, I, I think he's having this sort of, like, lap. He's well, doing he a lap right now. He was Black Adam it? and was widely considered, like, the best part of that of that film. Is he in Black he's great Adam? In it. And, again, it has that mix huh. of action and, like, kind of uh, a, a little bit of comedy. Tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Um, a little, he's playful, you know. But I yeah. think if you were to look at, like, the if there was a checklist for Bond, which to some extent there must be, whether it's like written down in black and white, but when the broccoli are- I'm shocked you are, haven't written this down well, yet. Well, yeah. let's crack it. Like, let's crack it together. Because the things that I would say, like there are certain things, certain boxes that need to be ticked. And this is what they're going to be going through with their search now, as we, we think about who the next Bond might be. But there's certain things that have to work for this character. What you first of all, aesthetically, you have to be, you know, you have to be handsome, you have to be attractive, because there is a an element to him as he's always, you know, he has to be a seductive character to some extent. He has to be charming. He has to look, and this is really important. He has to look like he can handle a gun and beat somebody up. And yeah. Brosnan really, in the moments when he is handling a gun or is physical, really looks physical. Like the scene that you talked about with Joe Don Baker, where he says, um, no, I'm not going to do your yeah. stupid code. And he's like, oh, really? Okay. And then he like grabs him and pulls the gun on him in a really like skillful way. He has to look like he's been trained by SAS, right? Like he right. has to just look the part with those moments when required. There has to be that little bit of wit and they all have different iterations of it. Craig is very... Um, you know, gosh, he's so much more, he's much more serious actor, has so much more, more gravitas. Well, yeah. I think he's the best actor to ever play the part in some ways, you know, which is not a diss to the other guys because they had different assignments. But if you want to like explore the tragedy and pathos of James Bond, Daniel Craig Perfect. is great yeah. at that. I think Brosnan also has a little bit of Dalton in him, like that intensity and that like I'll murder a dude, the kind of anger that he does really, really well. Like he really is quite well-rounded for the part. And I think, you know, I would rank him among my top three James Bonds for sure. Even if sometimes I think that warmth is almost a little like surprising. Mm. Yeah, any final thoughts on Brosnan? Where would what, you put him, Ben? Um, okay, only because, I, I don't know about, it's difficult. He's really he's brilliant in this. Was this film written for Bros uh, for uh, Dalton? Well, funnily enough, was there a um, bit of 
overlap because it's no isn't it the opposite wasn't license to kill written for brosnan well originally, it, it, it goes back and forth against big deal the multiverse the multiplicity of all of this so brosnan was supposed to do was supposed to take over from more as we said couldn't get out of the remington steel contract had been offered the part agreed to it began the process and then then the contract shut that down so then they go with Dalton. Dalton is supposed to do a third film, which I believe is called Property Property of a Lady, that he was mm-hmm. he was right. contracted to do. And they made the they posters made the poster, and went out for international that's right, sales. They're up at Cannes, I think, and you can see that there. If you a, a diligent Google search, you can find some of that stuff. But what actually happened is quite interesting because Dalton reached a point where there was such a long wait. There was also a huge um, additional contractual problem with MGM and the rights and I think the Fleming estate and the broccolis and all of this sort of stuff. And it took a long time to untangle it, by which point Dalton just felt like I'm, I'm kind of, it felt like he was a bit too old for it and that the moment had passed and that his head and heart maybe weren't in it anymore. And there was a feeling, so they were like, well, but you're contracted to do it, right? So you they basically reached an agreement where it, it was kind of like, well, we don't want to just have you come back after a six-year wait for one film. The better thing to do is just reboot it completely with a new with a new actor. So they kind of worked worked it out. But Bros- what I did read recently was that Brosnan didn't know Brosnan was supposed to do Casino Royale mm. and actually got told, um, wow. like, hey, it's not going to work out and was quite quite hurt by it mm. um so yeah it's kind of like one of the it's it's a it's an interesting cycle that it's been with with these guys and over over the years and it's gone back and forth but i think the general feeling is i think from bond fans is like brosnan was like one of the best bonds with with a series of the weaker films you know mm. we'll, we'll yeah. you know he was so good but i i in this one to me it's like just a bullseye yeah, you absolutely. Know. Yeah. That's why I thought it might be, um, it feels tonally so different from the rest. That's why I wondered if it was originally a bit for Dalton, because it's quite tough. And I, I was kind of imagining Dalton in this as well, seeing if I could do that. And I I don't know if he's, uh, Brosnan's better with the fisticuffs, I think. I think he's much more physical, I, I think, the rolling around up when they're in the antennae, um, antenna kind of hut. Well, speaking of physical, let's move on to our next uh, section, which is about the villains of this motion picture, starting with another incredible British actor, Sean Bean as Alec Trevelyan. What are your guys' thoughts on on that intersection of <laughs> of actor and character? I think it's pretty great. Yeah, amazing. Um, he he's kind of Bond's match, isn't he, physically and mentally? And was he offered Bond? That's Sean interesting. Bean? I think I've, he might have been. That or would maybe be an not. interesting. I've never heard that. But again, what was that other show? What was the show that he did in speaking of like Sharp. things like Foyle's War? Sharp. Sharp. Right. It was a British. <clears throat> um, you know, he was sort of suave, uh, sexy hero. But but the thing is, Sean Bean reads so working class, right? Like he just reads gritty blue collar yeah. working class yorkshire you know famously sheffield united supporter has a tattoo 100% blade you know he's like he's of that world that's but so to me like that's not so much the classical interpretation of james bond that it's slightly posher 
slightly more yeah. you know um upper middle class like well well healed even if even if that's not the reality of the character that's how he reads because he has to opera he has to move in fancy circles he has to right. be in a tuxedo with socialites and billionaires in you know chinese casinos right it, it, sean being being like all right chuck how you doing you know whenever i think about him in this movie i can't help but think about him in ronin where he plays this pathetic you know, kind of like... Oh, fuck off! Yeah, yeah. Like, and like he's so insecure and like, do you ever kill anybody? I can't do the accent, but like he's just... He he's like, do, Yeah, he doesn't... His rage is more powerful than how suave he is, which is great in this movie. And when he's revealed among... God, talk about, uh, talk about not subtle, but amazing. Revealed among the ruins of the Soviet, uh, the Soviet empire. And it's like, he's, he just absolutely owns that moment of the movie. I think he's... I think he's great in this movie. Like yeah, totally, pretty... you know, and it's a n- real nice contrast to Ronan. Like just the kind of character. And I plays. thought it was such an original take on a Bond villain, right? Because usually and it does it does sort of tick some of the boxes. There has to be some kind of facial disfigurement and things like that. Or but usually they're the Bond villains are a little bit more larger than life and they're usually international, right? They're usually foreign, as in they're not British or they're not American, right. or they're not American, right? Um, they're usually Euro- European or or some you know something that. But this Brits also would think connects to history. Exotic. I love the decision to make him uh, Lienz Cossack, right? Because it just it just fits in with history and this kind of idea that he's like other despite being brilliant backstory, right. isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really amazing. it's really clever. The way that it ties in with the history, and I, I think I think it's one of the best. I would go so far to say is this is like a top five, if not top three, Bond villain. Well, yep. and it also matches with, you know, uh, Silva in Skyfall in that he has this sort of like, I'm angry at the Empire thing, which is what helps with the commentary. Like when when sort of like the the character has to deal with the consequences or the of the, of the British, you know, this British Secret Service state's decision-making and like, you know, British history, like the movies get better, in my opinion, if they, if they really want to be about something significant, because it's kind of like, this is your fault. You set those, you set those charges to go off early, right? Like there's, there, there's pathos to it that is not, oh, you know, I'm thinking of like it's Moonraker, complex. which Ben yeah. mentioned earlier. You're kind of like, you know, like when it, when it, it it's appropriate for the, this to have with what's going on in action filmmaking for this to have levels and depth that you know maybe they wouldn't have had before um and tomorrow never dies does something really interesting with the villain too so like there's really interesting villains in the in the brosnan era so our second villain though is a pretty incredible one and i would also put as one of the top villain i mean it's it's she's not the primary antagonist but in terms of vivid bond villainy it doesn't get more spectacular and impactful than Famke Janssen as Xenia on a top. A sadistic lost murderer, according Isn't to the Wikipedia. Is it hot in here? <laughs> I can't. I'm heavy. Oh, my uh, goodness. Yeah, I mean, look, let's. I'm going to be a little boy for a second. This did things to me as a kid. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, watching it now, I think she's amazing. She's so good. She kind of, like, brings the Jaws kind of character into the modern era in this really, really fascinating way. And she's brutal. And her scenes with uh, Brosnan are great. I'm a huge fan of, uh, I mean, (laughs) as a 14-year-old, I was a huge fan. As a 40-year-old, I'm like, this is a good character. Um, And she's amazing. And what a, a, isn't her film debut? 
I think it is a ma- her major well, film debut. Yeah, that's once, incra- she's incredible. I mean, yeah. Go ahead, one of my, I, when I watched it through, I noticed quite a few different things. One of them was like in the in the sauna, she comes at him right up to his nose and he goes, that's that's far enough. And I thought that was quite funny because you literally yeah. couldn't get any further. But it's an absolute star-making turn, isn't it? She's so good in it. And yeah, she's definitely obviously one to watch then and she's done really well. I mean, then. I want to talk about her for a second because I think... You know, beyond the obvious, like, uh, you know, take my shoe off and whack it on my head uh, reaction to this to this character, she's an extraordinary actor. And yeah. what I really admire about her is that she didn't just sort of be like, okay, you're this incredibly sexy bombshell, you know, like visually striking and, and clearly very charismatic. But then she did a movie called City of Industry, um, which was yeah. like a post-Tarantino gritty crime Harvey Keitel. film with Harvey Keitel, yeah. Tim Hutton, and Stephen Dorff, in which she plays the sort of browbeaten wife of a, um, a kind of loser uh, criminal, like mm. you know, dual. They were they're like dual thieves, you know, and she, so she was very clever about like, hey, I'm I'm not going to just do these types of parts i'm gonna do i mean it was it was a funny it, it, she's great in the movie but it, she is married to someone that let's just putting it kindly doesn't look like pierce brosnan so it's not the most believable relationship that someone that sort of beautiful is in the in this really really like shitty situation yeah. in like the the boonies of like la county and and living this terrible life and blah 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 blah. but she, i think it was she's believable she's still believable because she's such a great actress she's also amazing you know? in the x-men movies as gene gray which is one yeah. of the hardest hardest characters in that franchise to 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 be for a variety of reasons and and she's really really good in it and she did rounders and you know movies oh, yeah. like that and she's just had an amazing Taken? career. She's in the Taken movies. She's yeah. She's an interesting. She's a really interesting actress. And like so much fun yeah. every time she's on screen. Made yeah. uh, the the um, the John Favreau Vince Vaughn movie. Oh, the sort of swinger sequel, essentially. Yeah, you know, yeah she's just yeah. great in everything. And and but I, I couldn't think of too many other character actors that have played henchies. Uh, male or female in Bond films that have had like a 30 plus year exceptional career like Famke Janssen has, which is just a testament to her her talent. Maybe you know? Kim Basinger in Never Say Never Again. That might be your only sort well, she of won like an Oscar. parallel. Yeah, for an amazing performance. Well, now Liam made the good point this morning as we were going over the, uh, I'd say the outline. These things completely improvised. There's no outline. <laughs> you that we hadn't brought up a category that has sort of fallen through the cracks recently and that she's category a lady. is <laughs> whoa 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 she's a lady <sighs> thank you back I, I by my money unpopular demand yeah it's the lady look i just i think it's fair to say that isabella score upco is great in this movie she fulfills the contractual obligations of making out with james bond two minutes after a ptsd event when she should really hate his guts which <laughs> yes. they never they've Such never properly addressed like, oh cool we almost just died you want to do it by the train tracks it's ridiculous but She's also smart. She's like she 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 can hold her own. Like they do make an effort. Again, it's that tension. They want James Bond to be the James Bond he's always been. They also know that it's, you know, 2000 it's 1994, right? So it's like she has to be a Bond girl, but they but she has a little bit of she calls him on his bullshit a few times, which I think is great. And also she's like able to use a gun and sneak around herself and like she's not a total damsel in distress. And she slaps the shit out of Alan Cumming. So I just I wanted to give her a quick shout out because I think she's she's wonderful in the movie. 
Yeah, and she spikes Boris, doesn't she, with this weird internet from the 90s thing. Just yeah. type, in, type in spike and it ruins the whole... Type in send spike and it works. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, because she kind of um, she's a massive help at the end, isn't she? When she, yeah. when they're trying to stop um, the evil plan. It's interesting, yeah, that it, in this one, I'm trying to add how much that this is the case in previous Bond iterations, where the the leading lady. I guess it kind of has. It it did kind of happen in the two Bond ones. Basically, how much is it like a almost a buddy movie, right? To some extent, with a romantic element, right? The the two of them kind of team up. That does happen in Living Daylights. Um, with the the cellist uh, character, is it uh, Miriam Darbo? I think is the name of the a- actress who's great, and then the wonderful uh, Pam Bouvier, played by uh, Carrie Lowell in uh, oh, License. Carrie Lowell to is Kill. a top five Bond girl. She's so great. She's so great. So it's it is it is kind of cool that they that yeah she, is it, she's not a damsel in distress right is the is the point you know she's an active participant in them trying to trying to save the day didn't really do t- but but it is interesting she's kind of the bigger part but it's Fam- famke jansen is the one that went on to have this well she like walks away career. with the movie yeah you know almost in the way that anna dermas does in t- um no time to die the last bond film she yeah. just right. has these 10 minutes and you're like holy crap why is the whole movie why is she not in the whole movie she's amazing well, let's move on to our section about the action in this in this film because it's a pretty great as an on an action movie level. I think it's it's pretty great. Um, as we talked about, it begins with this opening sequence with the 006 thing that kind of reminded me like it feels like the ending of another awesome movie we didn't see, like Demolition Man begins in mm. in that in that way where it's like the prologue is like the ending to another saga, you know, which I think is is really kind of cool. What were your favorite? Are your favorite action moments or stunts or set pieces in this movie? I'm going to go to Ben first on this. Please, one. Ben. Well, I, obviously, this is the first time we see the new Bond, so I love the introduction of Pierce in the. Op- I know you just talked about the opening, but the opening to me is just so good. Like you never quite see his face; you see his eyes when he's lasering through the roof, and then <laughs> you see him upside down, and he decks a Russian having a shit, and then he just slides Forgot into the to knock. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. It's and so he goes good. in noiselessly. Slides out. Oh, it was so cool the way he, he um, slides into the. You see him from the cubicle just slide in. I love that bit. Um, yeah. And then just just even the way the um, that they get shots quite cool. That like they're, the Russians are running towards them. They get shot and they get they get thrown back. But I think so. There's that one. But then the tank bit is just incredible, isn't it? The, the yeah. tank scene, and it's just. It's a, there's a scene where they're escaping the, that whole bit I love where they're escaping from the uh, prison and they she gets captured and just to follow her in the tank. So yeah, that that th- those th- three bits are my favorite action scenes. Kind of cheating. <laughs> I don't have a favorite action scene. I think this is the best one of the best action Bond movies ever made. But I also Ooh. think, you know, Ben, you said something earlier that I think is very true, which is like, they're all products of their time, right? And I think it's fair to say that like, there's no way they could have pulled off the things that they do in this movie in an earlier time with the kind of innovations that have happened in filmmaking, right? Like it's it's just so, like a bunch, uh, you know, a bunch of other films have been made in the decade prior to this. Die, uh, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 2. Like there's this big movement towards figuring out how to make these kind of movies work. And so like, it's really a beneficiary of like, you know, 
what happens in film prior to this to allow for like, they know how to drive a tank down the street now. They know how to like make it break out a wall. They know how to make this stuff look realistic. And like, you know, Martin Campbell is a genius, you know, of a, of a director. And like, it's just very impressive because you could never get a movie like this one before it in the James Bond canon. There are other good James Bond movies with, with action, but like, They've, they're in the golden age at this moment in terms of making these movies. I just want to pick up on the point you made about Martin Campbell because I do. I also think he's a genius, and I don't think he's he's talked about. He's he's never really talked about as um, you know reductive term, but like an auteur, right? As opposed to a he's. I think he's generally perceived as more of a journeyman, right? Like mm. if you want to if you want to be reductive and put them into one of those two camps, That's which sort is of not the career he had, sure, know, but yes, but. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Edge of Darkness, the miniseries that he made in the mid '80s with um, uh, Bob Peck. I've only seen the Mel Gibson um, remake. Yeah, me too. Which he also directed. Yeah. Um, and the the Mel Gibson remake is is pretty good, but the original Edge of Darkness miniseries is the best miniseries I've ever seen. Oh, wow. um, it's absolutely incredible. I'd put it up there with like Chernobyl and. Um, Do you have the Blu-ray? If I did. Uh, you wouldn't lend it to me. No, Phil no. Won't, man, can we talk about this for a minute? <laughs> Phil won't lend me Blu-rays. I live down the street from him and do a movie podcast with him. And I'm like, can I buy your Blue Thunder Blu-ray? And he's like, nope. Sorry. No. <laughs> no, yeah. He's a real jerk. He's got, a real Scrooge about it. I've got yeah. issues. Like, yeah, I'm a real Scrooge about that. The and the chronology. Queen of Hearts won't lend me his Blu-rays. The chronology of this show is the other thing that I'm a real, real bastard about. A la James yeah. Bond. Um, but yeah, Martin Campbell is amazing. And of course, he... It's wild that he did the reboot of this effectively with the new Bond of Brosnan and then did the Casino Royale uh, reboot as well. You know, just a really, really, I think, underrated and perhaps sort of culturally under-respected director. He also made The Mask of Zorro, which is a fucking great movie, like a great Zorro movie. Have you guys seen that? The Mask of Zorro with Antonio Banderas? It's, It's amazing. It's so, so good. Um, so, and that also, it's Catherine Zeta-Jones kind of blows up in that movie. So he clearly has a way with like giving great roles to up and coming actresses. And The He's Foreigner, awesome. did he do The Foreigner with, um, again, Pierce Brosnan? Was that one of his, Jackie Chan? Oh, yeah, I think he did do that. He did do The Foreigner, which I haven't seen, but everybody swears by. It's really good. Yeah, I, lo- yeah. I, read, I read it. It's a quite a pulpy book that I read it ages ago. So I was quite looking forward to seeing it. It's yes, great. Vertical Limit he made. Phil, he directed No Escape. Oh yes, of course. What and wow. we we I took it to the lab. Unfortunately, it didn't. It narrowly failed the um the genetic testing. And you shut down the power um, for three days in Glendale. It was very important. Well, it's a movie that we talked about a little bit on the Terminal Velocity episode with Rob Hackett. Shout out to Rob. Uh, it, it's um kind of die hard in a penal colony, but it, it, I really like that movie. Really, really cool movie. He's made some pretty diverse stuff. You yeah. know. Um, so the action in this movie is great. I totally agree. When that tank comes through the wall and the music kicks in, that's oh, just like rocks, bliss. Dude. Bond yeah, that's the nineties. That's the, the glory of the nineties and you know Fantastic. Uh, five seconds. Yeah. And amazing. tone as well, just like nailing tone. Yeah. Right? Like the grandiosity of it, the sense of humor of it, the playfulness of it, cold war imagery, just like it's just the, everything coalescing into one spectacular moment. So Totally. Actually, this movie is great. And then the big stuff in Cuba at the end with the... The, the satellite um, fight is that great. That stuff's really great, mm-hmm. yeah, too. Yeah, it's amazing. Let's move on to the, the, the last section of the Anatomy of an Action movie, which is the humor in this movie. I am invincible! A little bit more... Ooh. There's some tough stuff. There's some... Yeah. Uh, to quote the James Spader movie, there's some tough turf 
uh, to tr- to, <laughs> to I just trespass. think Alan Cumming, who's a wonderful, 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 wonderful actor, it's just a bizarre choice to cast him as Boris, right? Like, it's just, it leans hard into a caricature. You need that character, but it never quite, like, clicks for me personally. Ben, you're funny. Tell us about the humor in yeah, this ben. film. Well, uh, um, is th- we're not at best quip yet, are we? No, we're coming to that. Okay. We're coming to that. But That's yeah, I, I think actually. it's pretty funny. I think he's, um, I like the way he handles the humor in this film. In later films, I think he's a bit too on the nose, to be honest. Whereas mm-hmm. this one, I think the director's maybe said, oh, can we go another take, but less cheesy or some. But I, I think he, Pierce is very good with the, with the humor in this. Um, it's quite funny. There's lots of good exchanges, aren't they? With like Valentine, Valentine. Which guy uh, is that? Rob, Robbie Which Coltrane. Oh, Rob, yeah. Oh, yeah. Robbie Coltrane's incredible right. in this movie. Lest we forget. Like, Have you yeah. any idea how long the winters last right. in this country? Tell him, Dimitri. Well, it's been silence. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Good Robbie Coltrane. That was excellent. Especially with that accent. That's good. Stop, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Another like legendary British actor and, of course, you know, star of his own t- TV series, Cracker, that was huge and... and um, I and saw, he has this yeah. second life in the Harry Potter movies. Like, he really is, like, beloved by people, you know? What a great actor. Mm. But the humor overall for me is, like, uh, there are some, there are some like, witty lines and some funny bits. But f- I, I did find myself, like, look, I'm 42-year-old dad. So I'm, I'm like, cringe city. I'm the mayor of cringe city. But even then, I, I was, I, some of this stuff was, like, ooh, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is, this is, a, there's some groaners like for real, the Q this. stuff was pretty grim, wasn't Ooh, it? Oh gosh, there's some stuff that's just like, oh, yeah, I, <laughs> he deserves better. Like Desmond Lewin deserves better than what he gets in this movie. I think, unfortunately, there's you not know? too many laugh out loud. Like there's not there's not much genuine wit. It's like the, that kind the, of when he eye rolling Roger Moore like, style. Come wit. on, the yeah. sandwich. Yeah. Well. Now, one of the other things, in addition to being a stickler about lending my Blu-rays and the chronological format of this show, the other thing I'm a stickler about is uh, formality of dress for this podcast. So I'm pleased to see that you've both got your tuxedos on. We're going to play back. Ben and I are going to play Baccarat after this. (laughs) Where does that take place? Monte Carlo? Is that where they? No, where are they? Usually, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to do that. That's our plan. So you can parachute, with your Union Jack parachutes, you can parachute down to the Dolby Theater as we head to... The, the Die Hard Oscars. The Die Hard Oscars, aka, AKA the, the Action take. Movie Awards. <laughs> are, are you just? Are you trying to interrupt me? <laughs> like, like, what's happening? <laughs> just trying to add a little zest, a little okay. spice, spice up, it like, up a little bit. De vive. A little uh, tension. Okay. So I, <laughs> little tension, kind of make you mad a little. No, of course not. No, no. As no. if remote podcasting wasn't challenging enough. <laughs> You're doing All great. Right. Our first award is the John McClane Yippee Award for Best Line. And I have three nominees for you guys, but feel free to add. Okay. My, my first is, for England, James. Mm. <laughs> I, d- I don't know why I did that in a really bizarre <laughs> yeah, way. Are you why. smoking cigarettes? I don't know what happened. Yeah. For England, James. <laughs> the, the total. Like, okay, remember how John Bean is 83 years old in this movie? <laughs> that sounded like Sid James. And like No teeth as well. Why did you decide to do it with no <laughs> teeth? For England, James. <laughs> that, that, that Simpsons character. <laughs> the car- that's the carry-on version. Um, there is something about that line. Just to, can we touch on that for a second? I don't being English, or, like it really, really like hits for me. I, I, do, mm. do, does that? Do you know? Am I way off on that, Ben? But like, is there something powerful about that idea? 
Yeah, no, it's um, it's it, it does kind of re, re, yeah, I suppose remind them that their their motivations are for the country, and it's like there's a lot at stake here. Um, so yeah, no, it's a good, it's a very good line, and it's, and it's the it's last re- thing he says as well, isn't it? I think re- before he dies, in quotes, right, uh, the Sean Bean character. Yeah, yeah. Another, another similarity between Die Hard. They're both villains fall from a massive height. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Forgot about that. Um, we'll come to that when we get to our, our final category. But yeah, I had that one. Uh, I also had I'm Invincible. Mm. Um, and don't touch that. That's my lunch. Uh. <laughs> Wait, those are your three. You don't have the best line in the whole movie. Go the Phil it. Billingham special, which is when the psychiatrist says, I like a, a spirited drive as much as the next girl. And then Famke Hansen looks at him. She goes, who's that? And he says, the next girl. My dad, like. 20 minutes of laughter. Love that line. The next girl is absolutely my pick for the winner. I hate line. that sequence. The, really? The music, the music in that sequence. Oh, yeah. Bow, bow, bow. It's like a bass just slapping it's, as hard as it big can. Props. But that line is, that is an amazing <laughs> James Bond line. Like that, mwah, that is great. I quite like, I'm going to throw in, use the bumper. That's what it's for. And they yeah, just start bumping all these people out of the way. But um, I think I'll go with, um, what were your ones again? Sorry. For England, James, I'm invincible and don't touch that. That's my lunch. I think I might go for I'm invincible because of the the irony, because he's not. Yeah. Don't he... don't touch that. That's my lunch is rough, rough stuff. <laughs> rough stuff. Also because they clearly grabbed like a crafty sandwich and threw it down very quickly. Well, for so. me, it's for England, James. I love that. Yeah. I actually think it's actually a really, really brilliant line, especially in its emotional context that it's like the last thing he says, that it is like reminds you, yeah, that they're supposed to be serving a kind of higher higher purpose so that one uh, mm. did touch me in my i'm such a i'm so patriotic about being english that's why i live in los angeles um moving yeah. on so uh <laughs> it sounds really hypocritical whatever yeah england 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 where do you live um somewhere. i'll have a green juice please <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut this out next section nope the hans gruber exceptional thief award for stealing the film and our nominees are now this was actually pretty Pretty tough. A lot of good, um, lot of good stealers. Incredible in here. supporting yeah. cast. Sean Bean as Alec Trevelyan, Famke Janssen as Xenia Onatop, and we haven't really talked about her. Dame Judi Dench as M. Mm. She steals Skyfall. I'm saving it for that. I think I'm going with Famke Famke Janssen just because she's. And she, every time she's on screen, it's just like you can't take your eyes off her because she's so charismatic. Yeah, she's wonderful. I yeah. think it's her as well. I, I agree. But I do think that like watching the, the class and like the precision of Dame Judi Dench in those scenes and the way that she just like eviscerates him mm. with her manner and her, her, her words, it's just like beautiful to watch. Can I just point out something that I think is brilliant, which... At one point, he says, she says, would you like a drink? And he says, yeah, you know, your predecessor kept. And she says, I prefer bourbon. And then she says, ice. And he says, yes. And then she doesn't give him ice. <laughs> oh, wow. I never noticed that. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love that eye for detail. It's just like, it's just kind of like a little like, fuck you. Like, it's yeah. good. It's really, yeah. really good. She's She is like so important to this film. Without that character, yeah. this is still like a kind of a sexist relic, which is what James Bond, you know. Yeah kind of is so to have him like challenged in that way by such a such a like weighty uh performer i just love that that stuff Mm -hmm. now here we're coming to our our next session is the dick thornburg award for dick of the movie and i have uh three nominees gottfried john giving you the chance to talk about hold hold on hold your horses you'll get there as general i can't say it oromov 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 something like that 
Alan Carming as Boris, and James Bond himself, particularly for his behavior towards Caroline during that high-speed racing scene that made me feel like if I was in that situation, and first of all, I'm terrified of like driving around those kind of places in Italy and stuff. And I'm like, that really (laughs) freaks me out. Even if we were going at like five miles per hour, let alone going at like whatever they're doing. I was was really like, wow, you really are a dick, huh? You know, James Bond is a prick. Yeah, and he, of course always he been, is. Right, of course like, he, he has is. always been. It's what a makes prick. him great? Yeah, it's part of what makes him an interesting guy. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Ormorov because because he's he's brilliant in this. Yeah, he's um he's kind of um and he gets dispatched relatively early, doesn't he? Like about yeah. halfway yeah, that's through. Right. Yeah, but he's yeah he's a lot a lot I like the way great he's, face hasn't he that yeah. actor great yeah. face. So Godfrey John is a really, really pivotal figure in the German new wave cinema in the in the 70s, particularly because he worked with, I don't know if how much you guys know about um, Rainier Werner Fassbender, but he was a German new wave director. He died at 37. Between 1967 and 1982, when he died in, at, at 37, he made over 40 feature films, 24 plays, two television series, and four video productions. He was one of the most prolific. He worked himself to death and did a lot of drugs. Um, and just a, an amazing uh, guy made a, a film. There's a film you should check out he made. It's a sci-fi film called World on a Wire, which is like mm. truly, truly bizarre. But the OG like 13th Floor. Yeah, yep, exactly. Well, totally worth and watching. And Godfrey John Matrix is in... Bit, right? Like What? Isn't it, does it have some Matrix uh, yeah, connection? Yeah, it's totally influential and, yeah. and totally worth seeing. But, uh, you know, Godfrey John is in Berlin Alexanderplatz, which is probably considered by many to be his masterpiece. And he sort of straddled TV and film in this really exciting way. And actually, I have... You probably can't see, but Godfrey John is on the cover of it. The blue of Eight Hours Don't Make a Day, which is a series he made about workers' rights for German television in the 80s. Just an extraordinary filmmaker, but uh, Godfrey John is like the warm, welcoming face of some of these movies and just like a really warm, great actor. He also was in the Asterix and Obelix, one of those films, you know? So like kind of a germ, like a the kind of like European stalwart of an actor that you get in these kinds of movies. Who's the villain in... um, uh, never say never again. He's a similar kind Cla- of Klaus Marie Barbara or Bar- Yeah, ex- yeah. Th- exactly. He's yeah, these kind of yeah, yeah these <clears throat> kind of guys who like you get a little bit exposed to, and then when you get you see them when you're 14 in a James Bond movie, and then you get older and you're like, holy crap, I'm gonna watch everything this guy did. So Godfrey John, you know, this may- movie may be kind of a gateway drug for me to see some of those films because I've always loved Oromov. Very this, cool. In this movie. Well, we'll give the award. Uh, we'll give the award to him. I'm sure it's one of the many prestigious awards that he's received in his time uh, in the in the German New Wave. And now he can add to his mantelpiece the Dick Thornburg Dick of the Movie Award. Absolutely. Um, final category is the <laughs> best death. Um, a few few good ones. I've got Xenia Onatop being crushed. Wait, who? I'm sorry. I just. Oh, have, I'm sorry. Been a special request. Who's who's who presents the best death award? I'll just, I'm just getting in, in, in my earpiece now is that there might, he may be backstage. We weren't sure, but it looks like he's just made it. Is Marco here? No more table! Woo! Next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. So, well, I'm going to check the level on that one. Amazing. Woo! Ben, I'm here for you anytime. Back. Anytime. Can I do my diehard? I die love hard. my audience. Can I do my diehard quote yes, now? Yes, yes, yeah. 
Okay, here we yeah. go. What idiot put you in charge? You did when you murdered my boss. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Woo! That was great. Oh my Love god. That. Love you know that. what we don't talk enough about on the show is Die Hard. That's a good movie. <laughs> I like it. I'm a big fan. Well, that was great, guys. I really enjoyed that. I'm sorry I don't have one myself. Come I'll, on. I'll need to, need oh, to work on, on it. Come on. Um, come on. No, oh, we're did, conscious Sean Bean. He did Sean Bean. Come I did Sean Bean. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you I did. did Sean. Fine. I did Sean Bean. The quarterback is toast. <laughs> I have, it has to be natural. You can't put me on the spot. I'm getting flustered. Okay, <laughs> right. The best death. Uh, I've got Xenia on a top being crushed against a tree while attached to a helicopter cable. Uh, Alec Trevelyan falling from a great height, as Ben pointed out. Another That's Gruber, a great, great shout, yeah. Gruber-esque death, um, being killed by falling debris, gets killed by falling debris, but echoes of Lithgow in Cliffhanger and, and Sean Bean's death in Patriot Games. And then Boris being frozen by liquid nitrogen. Mm. Got three for you. I think I'm going to go with Sean's. Because it's like a double death, isn't it? I think, was it a reshoot, yes. the thing falling on him? <laughs> because that would have Just killed him. Just to make him, sure he's it? really dead. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's dead, I'm but he's fall. really dead now. It is shocking to me they show him hit the ground in a PG-13 movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it is, it is intense. Mm. I, I'm, with, I'm with Ben on this, it's but I also one. think Xenia's death is... Yeah. Great. God, well, that I, would be yeah. painful. Anyway. But, um, oh, just before, um, are you, did, the video game, did you play the video game? Because... Me and oh Phil. Oh my God, obsessively. Because me and Phil tried to play Halo in a day. I know it's not really connected, but we tried like to. Like the play... whole game? Yeah, and we lasted a few hours and then we just stopped because it was so disorientating and horrible, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, I, I remember this really well. It was really and... funny, but. Because actually, it, it, it made me feel sick. I know I couldn't <laughs> continue because, you know, it was that split screen thing where your mm. eyes are looking at two different, um, you know, moving images. And we were so hyped for this, and we were like, "Right, this is going to be like, this is going to be our crowning achievement at yeah. life. We're going to complete Halo together in a day, and it's going to be awesome." And um, yeah, and uh, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't. But I'm not a big. Um, I never had an N64, so I wasn't like as hardcore on the GoldenEye game thing as a lot of people. But I, we should talk about it for like a minute. Like, you know, we, you guys were. Hardcore oh, I was. I, I never had a Nintendo sixty four either, but I had a. My friend Eric had a Nintendo sixty four, and he would just bring the whole thing over after school, and we would play for hours and hours. And then we would do the invisible mode and put like as many mines next to like a Russian soldier oh as you could, here. and they'd blow up. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean that was that was that was really one of the first video games that like was set up in such a way that you could. It was almost like vibes, like you could just redo missions over and over again. It never stopped being fun, and now I feel like it's a source of meme content on the internet. And like people still talk about it. And then there was that perfect dark, which was the same game engine that came out a couple years later that just never quite clicked. They never got the glory of this game again. But, you know, there are probably people that have played the video game and never seen the movie. Like, it's just really, yeah. really interesting. I'd imagine you know? that's, that's big fan, true. big, big fan of the, of the game. Well, we're going to move on to our final section of the show, uh, the Double Jeopardy trivia quiz, which we will get into right after this break. And we're back with our final section of the show, the Double Jeopardy Trivia Quiz, where the scores can really change. Now, um, hopefully you know the, the basic rules, three questions, one clue each time. And Ben, you can choose as the special guest whether you wish to collaborate or compete with Mr. Billingham. I think uh, 006 and 007 together on a mission. Mm. Or what do you think? Yeah, or go Let's do it. Each I'm, other. On yeah, okay. I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. I like it. All right. I'm alone. I like Aren't it. we all, Ben? <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, guys. Question number one. 
Joe Don Baker appears in GoldenEye as CIA agent Jack Wade, an ally of Bond's. But in which 007 film did Baker appear as the villainous arms dealer Brad Whitaker, who was an adversary of Bond's? Yeah, I know this as a Bond. Go for it. I think I know, but you go. Uh, living, living, living Daylights. Is like correct. Two, two films earlier, which is a bit weird casting. That is very weird. weird. Very weird. It's weird. I, it, I, from my head, it was Live and Let. No, not Live and Let Die. Yeah, I thought that's the first thing I thought of. But yeah, Living Daylights, of course. Nice. Living Daylights is correct. Question number two. How many Bond films in total did Dame Judi Dench appear in? Oh. I think it's either seven. Is or she eight. in all the Brosnans? She's in all the four Brosnans, and okay. then she in Skyfall. That's it. You got to crack. You got to get the You got to work it out. You got to work it out. Bit of maths. I don't. Is she Inspector? Not yeah. Inspector. Well, she, she, no, she's, she's not a, Inspector. She can't be Inspector. There's a video of her, so I don't know if you're counting that. Are you counting that? He would. This, he yeah, would. Phil's yeah, scrupulous look, look to say the least. Um So in that case, so that's is four. She, is it eight or nine? <laughs> no, I think it's got to be. Eight. Is this a trick question? Is she like lady number three in like, I don't know, the, oh, yeah, the diamonds are forever or something? So it's eight then. Eight is the correct answer. Yes. Well done, guys. Yeah. <clears throat> Golden Eye tomorrow never dies. I don't remember dies. her in Quantum of Solace, but I don't revisit Quantum of Solace too, too Well, apparently, uh, Inspector, it's uncredited, but she did appear in the film. So, um, yeah, that is the that Where is are the your guys answer. on Spectre? Do you like Spectre? I liked it because I, I love it, Christoph yeah. Waltz. So I loved his him as Blofeld. I was crushed by it. I was so disappointed after Skyfall. It just, it just. I mean, I love Christoph Waltz. Don't get me wrong. And like all the elements were there, but I just found myself like, it just, it's something about it. It just didn't click for me. I don't know. I really, but that's because I hold Skyfall in such high esteem. Maybe I'm not sure. I didn't like the brother thing. I thought that was a bit unnecessary. Yeah, I, I, that's I, true. I love the fight scene on the train with um, what's his name, big guy. That's an amazing fight scene. Oh. Batista? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, he's great. That guy is yeah. great. Someone's got to write a movie. Phil, write a movie for Dave Batista. I, see, I have one, actually. But... Oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, more on that uh, more on that later. Off off mic. Um, our final question is uh, coming to you straight from Convoluted Corner. Okay, in previous iterations of the story, the antagonist was known as Augustus Trevelyan, and he was more of a mentor to Bond. Two distinguished British thespians, both RADA graduates, turned the role down. One was Sir Anthony Hopkins. Wow. Who was the other? Oh, um... I mean, I, I think I know it. Shall I just say it? Or you... Go okay. for it. Right. Go for it, Ben. Die Hard. Uh, he's from. He was in Die Hard. Um, I'm trying to make it. Uh, Reginald Bell uh... Johnson. <laughs> I yeah. can't believe it. No, it was, it was uh, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. I tried to do an Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Oh. Fantastic. You are absolutely yeah. correct. It, it was Alan Rickman. So once again, and of course, he turned the part down because he was tired of playing villains. So yeah, almost. I think almost Bean had is a the, of those three. I think Bean is the best choice. Bean is great. It'd Perfect. be very strange. I mean, obviously, it would write it differently. I think, but Rickman in this part, as it's written, would be would be wouldn't quite you know it'd be yeah. a nice difference from Die Hard, but it wouldn't quite like 
click. You well, know? So you would and, see it coming as well. Like you yeah, would see, you'd you're right. see it be so obvious. You don't see it coming with Bean. That's you really don't. true. It's yeah, really believable really that he's just like a lower level um, grunt in the in the organization, just a fellow agent that's just yeah. like a, an ass kicker. You know, so it, it, it and it's also like believable enough that Bean is uh is not such a superstar. He's obviously like a really, 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 really respected actor, but it's believable he could have been in it for that short part. Rather than if you had someone that was so huge and they're, they're like, well, he's coming back. You know what I mean? If he was killed off too soon. So just brilliant, brilliant choices. This movie's great. It's one of the better Bond films. Pierce Brosnan's fantastic. Bean's fantastic. Famke Janssen is spectacular. So much to love about this film. I think this movie is is really, really fun. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Any final thoughts? Um. I, I absolutely agree with everything. So I wish they'd kept the tone for the rest of them, like the the gritty. Yeah. It, it got a bit too cheesy and frivolous after this. I still like them, but I just think this one is just amazing. It's like best, yeah, brilliant, brilliant film. This is a top five Bond movie in my mind, you know, yeah. and I don't think, I think watching it now, you know, whatever many years on, it validates that. It's not like I was like, oh, I was just a, you know, 13-year-old kid who or 12-year-old kid who didn't know any better. Like, we really got a great Bond movie out yeah. of this movie it's a so it's it, a banger it's an yeah, absolute it's banger. really really good ben um, tell us about what you've got thank you so much for coming on the yeah, show ben, today this is a real pleasure this was really well, fun thank you for having me tell us about what you've got going on i was in seize them which is coming out in the uk in april which is very exciting i don't know when it's coming out in the us and i've got a couple of sitcoms coming out as well in april wow Again, that'll just be one of them's going out on hulu Oh, which, fantastic. Which is it's called Dinosaur. It's coming out on Hulu and BBC Three. Um, and then I stream Washing Up every Sunday. If you want to see me live streaming, me washing up. That's it for an hour <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> what Very do you naff. talk about? Uh, plates, uh, knives, forks, uh, ladles sometimes. I feed the cat. Whoa. Yeah. This is this is a comedy show called like the wash. It's called Washing Up. Uh, the, is it? What's what's the the? Uh, the <laughs> I think you just heard it. the hook, Phil. I think I think we got it. Is, it. It's literally it's that. Die Hard in a scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's like for the first fifteen minutes he's washing dishes, and yeah. the German terrorists show up every I can't week. Believe he's it, like man. these guys again. <laughs> how does the same shit happen to the guy every same Sunday morning? Well, how do people find it? What is what's the what would they search for? Oh, uh, Washing Up Club. I think it's on, I, I'm on. Twitch, uh, streaming on Twitch. Uh, this is Greensville, um, and I, I, I'll post a link on Twitter saying when I'm coming up. Usually about ten a.m. It's, it's. Don't get me wrong; it's rubbish, but it's just. It's quite. I think it's quite funny. I've been doing it for every year now, <laughs> <laughs> every morning for an hour. And I did see the thing that you did that was absolutely hilarious, where you were pl- you were pretending to be like a bad B and B. Airbnb like host. Oh yeah. Um, what was that? Tell us about that. Oh, that was a kind of hidden camera thing I did for Channel Four in in the UK, and it was a nightmare B and B, a hidden camera, um, cameras in every room. And this guy came came in. His mate knew it was a prank. The guy didn't, and I had to tell him not to do a, a shit in the toilet because the the original plumbing was there and it couldn't handle it. Then I said, if you do a shit about this big, <laughs> that's fine. Any bigger, I'll have to come pick it out. And burn it, and it was yeah, it was it was it was quite quite funny, but because uh, he didn't, he fell for it all the way through. And see, if I, I was on, if I was on that, I would be refusing to lend let people use my Blu-rays. That would be my uh, cruelty as a as an Airbnb host. I don't want to talk well, about this. It's anymore. really. <laughs> 
that sounds great and hilarious. And I love, I'm, I'm going to watch the washing up show, even though I guess it will be very late at night here, but I'm going to stay up. I'm going to stay up all night to watch it. It'll be great. They're also all on YouTube. Plugs as well, haven't we? <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Oh, they're on YouTube. Okay, great. Yeah. Then we will. Then we will check them out. We have a few plugs. Phil, give me a plug. Give me a plug. Um, we've mentioned this a couple of times, but the Eye of the Duck episode that we did about Total Recall is now out. Um, that it's has a good been episode. Really, really was such a blast to do. We love those guys. It's a great show. They're doing a season on cyberpunk cinema, and Liam and I are on that show talking. Ben, about where are you Total on a Recall. Total Recall? Love it. I saw it nice. two weeks. Two, two weeks, weeks ago. I saw it two weeks ago. I was, trying, I was trying to... Did you actually see it two weeks ago or were you just crowbarring that in in the way I'm that just, I... Oh, it was a crowbar did. option. Okay. Get your ass to Mars. <laughs> Get your ass to Mars. Um, so, yeah, you can check that out. Um, I am just finishing up my r sort of extended run as a guest uh, Premier League pundit on the American English Soccer podcast. Um, so if you're interested in, in that, if you're interested in the beautiful game, then uh, you can check out the American English Soccer podcast wherever you get your pods. And that's all I have. Do you guys have anything else to chuck into the mix before we... No, I'm at Liam G. Billingham on Twitter. The podcast is at Die Hard OAB. If you have thoughts on the movies we're talking about, you can email us dieHardOAB at gmail.com. Uh, that's really that's really all I have. I have I, I don't talk about sports on podcasts because I don't know anything about sports. So I just leave that to the professionals like Phil. Now, Phil, you are working really closely with Elon Musk on updates to X. That's correct. You're yeah, really we're digging working in on, there. We're gonna we're gonna take a rocket um, to Mars, a la Total Recall. Um, Get your ass to Mars, <laughs> Elon. Like go uh, go. Yeah. Um, no, I, I am on Twitter. Basically, what I like to do on Twitter is see if, like, post something that I think is interesting, and then as a test, see how few likes I can get uh, on it. And generally, like, it's zero. So, yeah. um, for example, today, I posted two what I thought were pretty interesting tweets. And um, what were they about? Zero impact. Both of, them were the about, both of them were about soccer. Oh. <laughs> One of them was about um, the BBC's take on Major League Soccer. Guys, please go retweet Phil. Um, please go retweet him. It was about a player that just passed away. You know, we did just get a retweet from our good old friend Russell Crowe. Yeah, we did, yeah. Who retweeted our conversation about his fi the film Land of Bad and the interview we did with the director of that film, William Eubank. So we're getting some attention. We're yeah. doing good. Russell Crowe likes some us. Some people like us. Yeah. What he tweets echoes an eternity, so we got to keep our <laughs> eyes on it at all times. What's next uh, on the show, Liam? Next time on the show, Nick of Time, Christopher Walken, <laughs> being a baddie. Have you ever seen this one, Ben? You ever seen no, Nick of Time I with Johnny is that Depp? The one, is that the one in real time? It's yeah. Die Hard in real time. It's very, yeah. it's good. It's a really solid thriller. John Pretty Badham. Cool, this is a Hitchcockian, like okay. uh, semi-political thriller. I think uh, I've got good. it on It's going to be really fun. It's a fun episode. <laughs> Got to watch it. We'll Maybe give it a watch. get your SCART cable sorted out, though. Make yeah, sure it's on the right, say, um, ridiculous. right format. Phil won't lend it to you. Just keep that in <laughs> yeah. mind. All well, right, guys. Thank you, Ben. ben this thank was a you real so much. pleasure. Uh, we'll be back next time with Christopher Walken's mustache. <laughs> Bye, guys. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast created and hosted by Philip Gawthorne. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Rate, review, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell your movie podcast-loving friends about Die Hard on a Blank. 
See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.